Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time for one of our favorite shows this week with Wendy. The only show where you'll find real talk about the real SoCal state of mind. With your host, Wendy Ross, who, after decades of working at real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley and Orange County, she decided it was time for Suffering Different, and thus was born Veracity Real Estate. Time was ripe for a renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels, something you just don't see in high-cost markets like Southern California. And through it all, as we're going to talk about today, she's built a company of data-driven nerds, real estate, real investment advisors, who are truth seekers and truth tellers. And truth be told, I can't wait to hear what she's got each and every week here. So let's launch and jump into it with Wendy. Wendy, welcome back. Hey, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Today is one I've been looking for for a while. You've got some real truths to tell us here today because your April um, market reports come out, right? Yes, I'm just putting the finishing touches on it. And um, yeah, yeah, we're going to dive into that just a little bit today. Talk about what's coming. So you'll be the first to hear. I don't know if I can wrap my head around what's happened in this market today here and so anybody that can make sense of it or even explain it to and that's what i find so shocking you tell me it's supposed to be 1500 homes on the market and there's right. five or something right. like that i don't hear that anywhere else i don't know why nobody's talking about that because that's really it, what's driving yeah. this insanity here it's nutty isn't it i mean I, and granted yeah i mean you, you know you can count on me to bring the analysis nobody else is it's just part of my nature you know i'm inquisitive by nature and and part of the way I, I do that is by surrounding myself with you know really smart people, but also I'm constantly doing the deep dive and, and looking at things from different angles. So to your point, can I help you understand this or make sense of it? Probably not. I'm not sure it makes sense to me, but at least I can shed some light on it. Yes, exactly. Or we can look at it from a different angle, perhaps. Right. But, but you're right. I mean, I was doing the research for the April report and uh, realized that, okay, so at, at, as of the end of April, we had just shy of 9,000 homes available for sale. That's how many we usually have per month. Yeah, right. That was for four flipping months. Yeah. It's right. insane. You know, so can I make this make sense? Uh, I'll try. Well, at least some of the continuing rise in costs, some of this starts to make sense when you dig in and look at the numbers here. Because on the surface, it doesn't seem to make sense. And you say it can't right. happen, can't sustain itself. But, but when we start peeling away the layers, you're right. Then, you know, the story sort of slowly unfolds. Right. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because of this. Um, and inter interestingly, because of last week, the conversation that, that we had with me and Kara interviewing me, mm -hmm. um, so many people said we want more of that. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of we're going to revisit the show a little bit, and um, we're, we're tweaking the format. And while I love having my guests come and add color and add different perspective to it, there's going to be a little bit more of me. So it's really really going to be this week with Wendy. I think that's a good idea because you've got some really good information and some good ideas and a perspective that I don't hear anywhere else. So you brought Kara back, and is she going to is she going to help you? Uh, peel back the onion here or is she just going to be the voice of the audience and say what come on <laughs> probably how is that happening that can't, that can't be true i'm a little bit of both but also she knows me well enough i mean you know kara is my publicist um she knows to keep me from going too far down the rabbit hole <laughs> so she'll keep me on track because I, I get into like serious nerddom and I, I can fall into a silo and I, I can't get back out so i also like to think i bring the voice of the people 
because you live and breathe these numbers and these demographics. And what's so interesting is that while maybe people are talking about the numbers and whether or not there's going to be a residential real estate crash, and yes, they understand that Orange County is graying and the silver tsunami is coming, people aren't necessarily making the connections between the two headlines. Right. And that's the point of the analysis that you're doing here, of going behind the numbers and this deep dive. Mm-hmm. And kind of, yeah, the why behind it, exactly. And so for those of you who missed us last week, that was the voice of the lovely Kara Stewart. So she's not only a very good friend of mine, um, she started her career in journalism as a reporter. Uh, she's been a serial entrepreneur. She's launched dozens and dozens of businesses. She's the founder and CEO of Alta Lunas Media. And as I mentioned, she is my publicist, and she is the chief brand officer for Veracity Real Estate Company, my company. So... Thanks, Kara. Thank you so much, Wendy. It's a great ride, and it really helps us tie together everything that we're doing in the community mm-hmm. for nonprofits, for your clients of home buyers and home sellers. And I'm just always fascinated by the real estate investment angle. Having, um, you know, I'm an Orange County native. All of my businesses have at least been birthed here, even if they've traveled outside. They've grown wings and they've flown away. They've grown wings and flown away. And so um, this is as much as it is for me as it is for you. Well, and something, too, that I find really um, rewarding is that I know I'm helping my clients and their families build generational wealth. I know this. You know, I've done this long enough that I've seen it and I've had them come back to me and just share their joy over what they've grown and developed. And what you're doing with Alta Lunas, creating this ecosystem where you are intent upon helping, um, focused heavily on women business owners to support our community in a variety of ways that, that promote health. And one of them is financial health. And so, of course, I love that we can speak to that together because it's a big part of what we do. Thank you so much for the opportunity for that. And you're right. I, you know, our philosophy always is if you can start with helping people to become financially secure and financially independent, mm-hmm. a lot of other things fall into place after that. Yeah, it's it's a great launch pad. So it's fun to see what people do with it and what they do with their lives. As we said, you know, we're going to have other people speaking with us. But for now. Well, what if we do this, Wendy, before we get into really what the market is You mentioned your April market report. Mm -hmm. You know, usually at this point in the show, you talk about simply what happened last week, the raw numbers. So let's start there, and then we can compare and contrast, and also look at what's going to be happening for the rest of the year a little bit. Yes, I'm going to force you to be a fortune teller again. (laughs) Okay, I'll polish the crystal ball real quick. But for now, last week, we saw 461 new housing units come on the market. So we had 461 new listings. That was down 5.5% over the week before. A little disappointing because as we ramp up and head into summer, we want to see these numbers increase week over week and month over month. They're wobbling up and down um, for a variety of reasons, and we'll get into that. We did put 575 homes into escrow, so under contract. That was up 17.6% over the week before. And that does, again, sort of make sense because it's the last week of the month and there's always a bit of a push at the end of the week. However, given that it was the last week of the month, we normally see a lot of the escrows hurry to close before month end for various reasons. And we only had 581 sales close last week. That was down 3.5% over the week prior. But truly, functionally, I think this is because there just weren't any more to close. There just weren't any more deals to be had. 
um, we maintained seven days on market. And in my April report, I, I did a little bit of tripping down memory lane and I looked up some of my old reports. And normally this time of year, that would be 40 days. So seven days is ridiculously, obscenely, abnormally fast. I just can't come up with enough words for this. It is too stinking fast. It is beyond volatile. It's insane. Um, median price bumped back up to 1.1 median, uh, 1.1 million last week. So that was a 4.8%, nearly a 5% bump over the week before. So it's bobbling along between a million and 1.1. I'm curious to see if in summer this shoots up or if we just maintain some stability because there's all of this confusion out there. And at 1.1, I imagine, you know, we're getting a five-bedroom on an acre land, gorgeous <laughs> estate, right? Maybe in Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, l not even in Riverside County. No, I mean, it used to be, th there was a great article, and I'll get into that a little bit later. There was a great article that talked about how you used to be able to get a five-bedroom, you know, four or 5,000 square foot house in Riverside County for a million, and that, that's been shrunk down to about 3,200 square feet. So yeah, the dollar is not stretching nearly like it used to. Um, and, and what's interesting is that our list price to close price ratio, so meaning what the sellers asked and what they actually got, it's still at 110%. So last week, we trended 10% above what they were asking. And believe me, sellers aren't asking less than they used to. They're continuing to ask more and they're continuing to get more. So the heat is very, very much on and staying with the market. It's going to be a really, really contentious summer if this continues. Well, let's get into that. You've, you, you've touched upon you know, certainly what happened last week and how it relates to your April market report. And in the residential real estate, summer is always such an important time. You've mentioned it at a couple points. So mm -hmm. I have a couple questions though. So first of all, as we're ramping up to summer, you noted that last week having seven median days to sell on the market mm -hmm. is volatile. Usually, and you looked this up in previous reports, you were at 40 days. Mm -hmm. Why is that so dangerous? You know, hypergrowth is good, right, Wendy? Like being able to cycle through and do more faster and hack the system, that's good, right? You know, I, I'm not necessarily saying this is bad. What I am saying is this is a this is a superheated market, which is like a freight train flying downhill. Um, and so, for all those naysayers out there saying, "Okay, well, interest rates are going up," um, we hear from media reports that more sellers are coming onto the market. Therefore, we're going to sit back on our heels and wait for the market to cool before we do anything. That's where I think the trouble lies. Because they're not understanding, in in my analysis of the, the post-crash correction of 0809, the correction didn't come for a couple of years. It took a while for the market to bottom out, for all the, um, for the chum fest, if you will, to subside and for real buyers to re-enter the market. So that really didn't start until 2012 or 2013. And price acceleration didn't start happening really. Like, like we're seeing now in COVID, we're seeing this incredible month over month, year over year now ramp up in pricing that we hadn't seen since going back 10 years to 2012. And in 2012, going to 2013, even then we didn't see the rapid price acceleration start until days on market fell to 36. That was the bottom. That was the fastest homes had sold in months and months and months. 36 days. 36 days. Was the fastest. Correct. We're at seven. Their homes are selling so fast. And what that means, it's not just, oh, okay, homes are selling fast. That is a an indicator that there are 
loads and loads and loads of buyers fiercely competing. It's the buyer pressure that's making things go faster. It's not just because people are walking up going, oh, I'll take that one. We're not just becoming more decisive. We'll go into that a little bit more because the number last week, and granted this was a moment in time from one week of the month, mm-hmm. you said that we were up 110% list price to close price ratio, mm-hmm. which means that buyers were actually going above and beyond what sellers anticipated. Yes. Again. Again. Why are we doing this? Because there's so little to choose from, and we have the largest pool of human beings now living and walking the planet, the millennials. They are a massive, massive segment of our population, and they are here, and they are working, and they must live somewhere. It's not negotiable. I mean, they have to live somewhere. You know, and in the absence of building more homes, which we are not doing, um, and you know how I feel about that, that's a whole other conversation we will have another day about NIMBYs. I was going to say, are we going to invite some of our favorite NIMBYs on for that episode? Ooh, we should. Yes. Do like a, a point counterpoint. All right, NIMBYs, we're interviewing for spots right now. If you would like to be on our show to tell us why there should not be new home construction in Orange County, Send in your questions. Pitch yourself. Oh, yeah. We yeah. want to know why you're thinking this. Yeah, well, or uh, elaborate. Tell me why it can't be in your backyard, but it can be in mine. For the love of Pete, people, we're not building enough houses. We say that we want a stable economy. We say that we want to have this med tech business here. We say that we want to have all these professional financial services here. These people must live somewhere. And that's the problem. The jobs are here. The people are coming for the jobs. We've done a great job in terms of a county is attracting talent, but we don't have a place for them to live. And they are competing fiercely because they want to be here. They want these jobs, they want this weather, they want to be here. And then of course, the senior citizens, you know, like you're saying, the silver generation, the, the what was it, the great wave or the silver wave? The silver tsunami. The silver tsunami. Yeah, they're not leaving. No. And, and to your point about the great economy here and the attractiveness of not only living here, but working here, Orange County has done a great economic development job in attracting major corporations. And these knowledge workers and thought workers do employ people longer and and, and people are not retiring and choosing not to. It's a very different generation than mm-hmm. one generation ago. So you have in the workforce up to four generations, which is just unheard of right, right. now. Right, and you know, we, we can't underscore, uh, we can't overstate, sorry, the importance of where we're sitting right now. We're at the Cove at UCI. What do they do here? Invent tomorrow. They incubate brilliant minds and create new businesses, often in med tech, again, inventing tomorrow. We are in the epicenter of what I'm talking about. We've got all these people coming here to incubate these brilliant ideas and create these companies, which will then what? Have to hire more people. They're going to bring more people here. Where are we going to put them? I mean, the, the current pressure on the housing is frightening, you know, and, and what's sad is that we are becoming like San Francisco, like New York. And when you look at those markets where this has already happened, Silicon Valley is, is something for us to pay attention to people. Suddenly overnight, thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs were created and all the people went to live there. Homes up there are almost twice as expensive as they are here. It's the same state. It's the same general economy. So do we actually want to delude ourselves and think there's going to be a crash, there's going to be a correction of this? I think that's naive. 
And we jokingly said earlier about what a $1 million home would be able to buy here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I believe it was just this week, the Orange County Register published an article talking just about that. They did. It was actually... What did you learn from it? It was a great article, by the way. It was when it was called, How Much House Can You Get for a Million Dollars? And it was jointly written by Jeff Collins and Sandra Barrera. And if you're listening, you guys, you rock. That was a really, really well-researched and well-written article. I loved it. Um, And basically what it said is that we now have 39 zip codes in Orange County where the median price is at or above $1 million. Orange County is a tiny county. We're about the third the size of L.A. County. That's frightening. You know, and we used to be the redhead, redheaded stepchild, if you will, in terms of everything was cheaper here because we weren't as, you know, we weren't as sexy and modern and powerful as L.A. Well, it's changing. And we were behind that orange curtain. We were behind the famous orange the curtain. The famous orange curtain. Yeah. So, you know, it's a phenomenon. And if we expand our perspective, um, which I do, I, I tend to get hyper analytical and I can spend days and hours looking at real estate data. This isn't confined to Orange County. It's not confined to SoCal. It's not confined to California, nor is this phenomenon confined to the U.S. We are seeing price escalation in housing issues in terms of affordability globally. And that's important because you do work with international investors. So Mm -hmm. you are seeing not only this microcosm of Orange County, but this macro view of how people who are looking, again, go back to the generational wealth and Mm -hmm. to invest it Mm -hmm. and to spread it to the hottest markets. You're seeing that that's happening globally. Yeah. And it's we are becoming global citizens. Yes, COVID did, you know, throw a wrench in that. And a lot of people didn't travel as much as they would have. Um, But, for example, a, a gentleman friend of mine has... Uh, three grown sons two of them don't live in the u.s you know one's at vietnam and one's in australia and they're working remotely and they're doing what they're doing there and what we're hearing reports of is that housing's getting exponentially more expensive there poland i know a few months ago reached a, a peak in housing expense that no one foresaw coming Kind of sound like Warsaw. Anyway, mm-hmm. Freudian moment there. Um, Scandinavian countries are seeing the same thing. England is seeing the same thing. Um, you know, before the Ukrainian crisis, of course, uh, most of Eastern and Central Europe has, has reported the same thing. So, yeah, th- this is something that we're stuck with. And, and what we need to do is determine um, if we're going to get off our heels and get in the game and put our homes up for sale or not. You know, and, and if you have a home that you don't intend to live in forever, you might want to think about what your plan is. Of course, being able to have an advanced copy of your upcoming market research report, one mm-hmm. of the lines stood out to me. And it was essentially, as long as buyer pressure remains strong, prices will also remain strong. Mm-hmm. This has been reflected in OC's median price, reaching $1.1 million last week. Is this going to be an anomaly, though? Please tell us this year is going to be an anomaly. Are these the trends that are going to be seeing and being playing out year after year? I would say last year was the anomaly. 2021 broke records in crazy ways. Um, The number of homes that we sold versus the few of the homes that we had available. We saw things like 59 and 60% absorption rate of available inventory. And that that flies in the face of a normal 30 to 34% absorption. And what I mean by that is if there's 1,000 homes for sale, we would normally sell 300 or 340. You know, whereas last year when we had 1,000 homes for sale, we sold 600. It's... So so that really was, I think, the, the gorilla in the marketplace. So far this year, we're not quite as hot as that, but that doesn't mean things are crashing. It just means they're a little bit less freaking insane. Um, so this, this year, 
it's going to be a lot more of the same. I mean, we're all we're already at pace where we're selling through 52% of the inventory, and we're not even into the peak peak season yet. What is the traditional peak peak season? Traditionally, it's it's June July, you know, and even though. Normalcy has something we haven't been familiar with for three years now. We do still see these bell curves, you know, in the calendar in terms of how many homes sell when. And we do have fewer, you know, at the end of the year and into the Q1 of any year. It peaks Q3, Q at, you know, Q at the end of Q2 into Q3, and then it starts to taper down again into Q4. So, you know, it, what I think is going to be our best indicator is the list price to sales price ratio. Yeah. Because sellers are going to continue to be aspirational. Of course. I mean, who doesn't want to sell their house and get top dollar, especially if they need to buy another house and they need top dollar to buy the next one. So, of course, they're always going to be as aggressive as they reasonably can with their asking price. What is anomalous of late is this. I have never in my career seen a 12-month trend where the sold price was higher than the list price consistently month after month for a year. You'll see it one or two months, and then sellers are like, oh, we overreached, mm. and then it backs off. And then, okay, maybe another month, and then it backs off the following month. It's like it's a little herky-jerky. It's like, oh, okay, we get more. We ask more. Oh, we get less. And it's just sort of this so kind this of... 12-month run-up is really something that's never happened in history, to your knowledge. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Forever, I've... forever. Never, ever. No. So, sorry, Ms. Jackson. All right. And as you said, again, dipping into the report, there's, a, as of this writing, homes were still selling 5 to 10% above list prices. List prices continue to soar and climb. Mm-hmm. But there's the, 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 this, this pool of qualified buyers is behind this, right? Right. So what is this looking like? You've already said the millennials are out in force. Mm-hmm. They've been held back for so long. They're trying to now finally the late start to their their, their homes and their families and all of the other things that we understand. Mm-hmm. But today's buyers face a very different environment than buyers did even 15 years ago. Absolutely. Certainly different than a generation ago. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How are they being able to qualify? I've heard you say, well, you have to prove your ability to pay. I remember when I bought my first house, even I was laughing hysterically, like, really? You're going to let me buy a house? Right. I have no ability to actually pay this every month. And they let me do it. And that was the backbone, honestly, of all the reforms that came after that last meltdown, was lenders were not allowed to give someone a loan based upon the collateral alone. They had to establish ability to repay the loan. And strangely, that was missing from the equation before. So go figure. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, come on. I think we saw what could go wrong. So obviously, that's out the window. Reforms have said, okay, no, we really have to prove that you can afford this. And if not proving it through show us your paycheck stubs, prove it by showing us your bank statement so we can see, you know, 24, 36 months worth of money in your bank account. That is in that is proof of assets. It's proof of cash flow, whether or not it's directly a paycheck. So, and technology has really, really aided banks in both quickly verifying, yep, the money's still in the account. Yep, they still have that job. And, oh, no, that looks like fraud. You know, so, so they're weeding out the bad guys faster. Uh, and they're just, so there's just not as much opportunity for, for shaky loans to happen now. So how are buyers qualifying for higher than ever prices? Um, something that I pointed out after uh, 2000, 
2009-2010. I noticed in Orange County when I arrived um, in at the beginning of the millennia uh, that it was not okay to act as if you were poor. I know this is shocking for some ears, but bear with me. It was not cool to act like you couldn't afford everything you wanted. Fake it till you make it? Have you ever heard that spoken in Orange County? I had never seen so many leased Bentleys in my flipping life. I was like, what are you doing? Why do you have a $1,000 car payment? What the hell is the matter with you? So this abruptly shifted when the market melted down and suddenly it became chic to talk about how much money you were able to write off in your short sale. Like, oh, well, we were, we, they, the bank wrote down a million dollars. So we walked away from a million dollars in debt and suddenly austerity was chic. And the rise of thrifting, for example. Mm-hmm. I think we drifted away from that a little bit. And austerity chic is back. I, I'm really impressed by how many of my first-time buyers um, share a car. You know, mm-hmm. they're couples, and they're either married or living together. And, and no judgment, but, you know, they, they are each other's people. Um, and they're sharing cars. It, it, and they're not ashamed of it. it or they're, they're doing social ride sharing. Um, I part, you and I participated mm-hmm. in something that I see people are doing now, and that was wardrobe share, bringing clothing, because a lot of us changed size during COVID. It was unfortunate. I have no idea what you're talking about, Wendy. I know. I got smaller. Um, anyway. <laughs> right? All right. A little comedy moment. Anyway, but we, we all came together and we shared clothes that no longer fit us with one another. And whereas there would have been shame or a little reluctance to do that in the past, what I'm seeing is people now are understanding if I want to be able to pay my housing payment, I may have to sacrifice a car. I may have to not buy the new clothes. I may have to skip the Starbucks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeing that they're doing this. So uh, they're having a shift in mindset of mm-hmm. perhaps prioritizing their housing investment versus all of the other visible trappings of what we used to consider to be a carefree lifestyle or a wealthy lifestyle. Right. What other role are buyers and sellers playing today? Because I know you're counseling them on both sides of the equation a whole lot. You know, you're talking about, I've heard you say about um, sellers who have this fear of trading their low mortgage rates for higher property taxes. We went over that a little bit last week. But what else are buyers and sellers doing right now that you want to be able to shake them to say, stop doing this. It's actually harming you in the near term and how's harming our residential real estate economy in the longer term. I know where you're going with this. Can I put a pin in that? Of course. I I want to just supplement what we were were just talking about Mm -hmm. with buyers and in how they're making this affordable. Anybody who's uh, a sociology wonk, start checking out these articles and these papers that are coming out that are talking about the millennials and how they're both putting off getting married till later in life and they're putting off having kids until later in life and i cannot um, emphasize strongly enough that children are expensive you know and i think millennials are actually or, or people i don't want to label who whomever i think as a population, human beings now are putting off having children longer mm-hmm. um, for fiscal reasons. Yes, fiscal reasons and concern about the world in which their children will be born. I can't imagine who would be worried about that, Putin. All right, it's not mm-hmm. a political show. I just had to drop that bomb in there. Okay, so, so what other roles do I see buyers and sellers or sellers and buyers doing that makes me want to shake them till they rattle? Um, not that I would ever do that. If I may put a pin in that back at you, <laughs> because you actually brought up something. So, you know, we, we know there is this global trend 
of uh, delaying childbirth and families, even getting married, moving out, all of these things. Mm -hmm. But as these families finally are able to, or couples and and, and small families are able to move into what used to be their starter homes, Mm -hmm. you know, traditionally they would move out of it when their families grew. Mm -hmm. A lot of them aren't able to do that anymore, right? right? Right. So that's even shifting the dynamic of looking at one's home, perhaps staying in it longer, mm-hmm. turning to remodeling, trying to make the space they're in work for mm-hmm. their growing family, which is also a shift because before they would just abandon that house and move up and trade into a different, but that was a life cycle as well. You know, got married, have You're the kid, right. have children, have a few more children, move up again, kids, be, kids go off to college, empty nesters, then they start to downsize again. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that again through the numbers, because numbers don't lie. I love my data. Um, it used to be in Orange County that, that homes would turn or resell after six or seven years. We're at 11 years now. So clearly, they're staying put longer, and they're they're making the most of what they have, and this is definitely why I can't get a contractor to save my life. They're so busy. You know, they're out there doing all these tweaks and home improvements, and um, I don't know if they're adding safe rooms or what they're doing, but definitely soundproof rooms, right? Because people are um, working remotely and, and, you know, zooming. they're yeah. zooming, man. They're zooming from home. Um, all right. So where were we? All oh. right. Let's go back into buyers and sellers, yes. what you want them to know, because I do want to make sure we spend just a few minutes on this show to talk about where do you get this information? Because it is so different than others are reporting, either in headlines or from either, you know, other brokers and realtors. But let's get into that one second. So to finally, you can answer the question about buyers and sellers and what you need them to know. Okay. The, the biggest issue that I see now, and, and to your point, when you pose the question, they're getting in their own way. Because there is enough wealth here, would-be sellers, and I call them would-be sellers, are saying, I'm not going to sell my house until I find the replacement. So I'm just going to keep this one off the market, and I'm going to go and I'm going to gobble up that one over there. And then they complain that there's nothing to choose from. It's because all the sellers are doing the same thing. Like, put your dang house on the market, will you? We will protect you. We will write the listing that says you're not vacating it until you get the replacement property. If all the sellers would just do that, it would add so much more inventory to the market. But truly, literally, a third of the people who are repurchasing in our marketplace fall into this category. They're sitting on the departure property. Stop it. Just stop it already. Put the dang house on the market. Put the house right. on the market. <clears throat> Moving on. All right. This data, this gold mine, this treasure trove. <laughs> Why is it credible? Where do you source it? Okay. So there have been a lot of um, aspersions cast upon the MLS, the multiple listing service. That is my um, that is my source of choice. And it has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Primarily, um, I think people who are my age and older, I'm in my 50s, loud and proud, um, we remember that MLS services were very um, compartmentalized. Like there was a Laguna Beach multiple listings MLS that didn't share data with the Newport Beach MLS. And they didn't share data with the Orange County General you know, Association. It was crazy. But all of these people have learned to play nicely together. The data is all aggregated. It's pulled together in one nice handy dandy place. Um, and, and then there were those who would say, oh, yeah, but what about these distressed sales and short sales and foreclosures and, and all this shadow inventory from the banks? Well, lenders have learned that they can sell assets they foreclosed on for a top dollar when more people are aware it's for sale. How do you do that? You put it in the MLS. So now when when institutions own real estate, they mandate that 
it get listed in the MLS. So now it has become actually the most complete source of information. And and yes, 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 I know there are people out there going, oh, wait a minute, but my neighbor sold and he didn't use an agent and was all off the market. Yeah, that's going to happen. There's going to be a few of those, but less than 1%. So, you know, to have a data pool that's 99% accurate, I'll take it. But it's only as accurate as input, right? Because <laughs> some, yes. a human being actually manually enters this. Garbage or, in, or, garbage yes. out. Right. Yes. Yeah, well, okay. So, and I know you've heard me um, scream on occasions when I, because the way it works for a, a real estate person, we can go into this MLS treasure trove of data and say, I want to look for all homes in Orange County um, that are detached, that have at least a 7,000 square foot lot or whatever. I can describe whatever search criteria I'm looking for and poof, and up comes this list. And invariably when I'm scrolling through these listings, I'll find one that is very clearly an attached property, but some bonehead just ticked the wrong box and called it detached. So yeah, the, the data is not perfect. Um, it is not sanitized. Certainly there is very little oversight. Um, it's, we actually have to report on one another like, Hey, you know, dear MLS board, this person screwed up. Um, and, and often you'll see things, um, subtle, like a, a listing agent will have a property that they're selling and it's fully detached. There are no common walls and they see that the zoning says condominium and they seem that that's wrong. So they, they then describe it as a single family residence. That too is erroneous because single family residence and condominium do not describe what the property looks like. They describe the legal definition of the property, mm. and that can vary from city to city. So don't think this stuff's easy, people. I mean, we actually have to know our stuff in, in depth. So the legal definition of a single family residence or an SFR is that you own the structure, the building, and a specific, a specifically defined piece of dirt upon which that structure sits. In a condominium, you can have a fully detached structure, and of course, it's sitting on dirt somewhere, but with a condominium, you don't own that exact piece of dirt upon which it sits. Like, you couldn't walk out your front door and say, that's my land, because it's not. <coughs> it, it's more of a commune. You know, each condominium owner owns a proportional interest of the land upon which all of the community sits. So it, it, th that is the distinction. And different cities have different rules about when you can call it a single family residence. And if you can't call it a single family residence, which usually means the house is too big, the lot is too small, they don't like that there's not enough land left over, they're going to make you call it condo. So they're going to make they're going to make you call it a commune. And, and that happens when it's being built and developed. It's not like something you can change later. It is what it is, what it is. So a lot of data analysts, and a lot of my um, compatriots, may pull data for single family residences only to compare those trends to condominiums. And I'm not disparaging that because the two property types do tend to move differently. I, I would say more commonly attached and detached move more differently. And that is one way to study the data. But because my job is not to be a data analyst, my job is to sell houses, I choose to put it all in one bucket and I just go into the MLS data and I say, I wanna look at only Orange County, everything you wanna call residential. Just give me everything, you know, and that, that's going to encompass anywhere someone's likely to live, you know, condos, single family residences, mobile homes, duplexes, triplexes, quadruplexes. They, those are all going to be in that. Bucket. And that's why you often aren't making a distinction among them because of the various types of properties are labeled differently in different cities. Mm -hmm. And you're really looking at 
what the buyers need and want, regardless yeah. of how it's labeled in there. Yeah. And I'm just studying the phenom- phenomenon of housing. Yes. And I'm talking about the phenomenon of housing. And because I pull the data the same way with the same search criteria, my trend analysis is accurate. But you may see, like in Stephen Thomas's um, housing report, he may say that there was 3,200 houses on the market, and I may say that there was 3,600. Well, it's because we're pulling data with different criteria. You know, he may be excluding mm-hmm. quadruplexes. I don't know. I'm just, I'm guessing. I'm just saying. Um, but the trends will be consistent, you know, and the market movement will be consistent because what we're watching, um, it, we're watching in the same way individually. And if I do want to see the difference between like SFRs and condos, I, I might pull up a, an industry data source like CoreLogic. CoreLogic does a great job um, of a Southland market report. And anybody can go to dqnews.com and look at that themselves if they want to. And it will show you the difference in um, price appreciation by county and by city for Southern California, um, SFR versus condo. So, you know, if, if that's your joy, go crazy. And I learned in reading your report mm. and having some time to play with MLS, Orange County used to have yurts listed as an actual <laughs> dwelling type. Paul, did you know that? No, I'm not even do sure you, what a Do you know what a yurt is, first of all? Yeah, this indoor cat had to look it up I and did. thought it was a joke, and it's not. I seriously did when I first moved to Orange County, and I saw... They listed yurts? Isn't that something yes. they do, like, in Mongolia or something? A yurt Aren't is... Aren't they built in trees or something like it's that? It's like half-tent, half-wooden structure. You know we're going to get hate mail from the Yurt Lobbying Association. <laughs> and you know, I, so, I am yeah. not disparaging yurts. I simply am an urbanite, and when I moved here... I might be. I did not know what a yurt was, so I had to look it up. And somehow someone must have realized there are no yurts in Orange County because suddenly that property type is no longer a searchable option in our MLS. Wow, so yurts have disappeared. Yurts have disappeared. However, before we turn it over to Paul, if you own a yurt in Orange County, we want to hear from you. We have so many questions. Please call, send photos, videos. Let's do a show. Let's go there. Yeah. Road trip. Exotic housing styles. Yeah. Do you live in a tree house? Inquiring minds want to know. Your Villa Park neighbors probably don't like you if you do. Hey, we even want to hear from you more. But then. let us not hate because I have a listing coming up in um, the Temecula Valley area and they have a very, very, very sexy Treehouse with a kitchen real? and everything. Wow. Yeah. A kitchen and everything? Well, a kitchenette, of course. A real house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not just mm-hmm. a little boarded up mm-hmm. uh, shack. Right. We got to keep it interesting. Keep it spicy, right? Okay. So, Paul, would you tell us about our sponsor? And I know you have a few questions before we let Wendy go this week. I do. Well, before I get into my questions here, uh, the, uh, nobody should have a question about the uh, world of, uh, that you built around you here, the network of strategic partners that includes our sponsor today, Ford and Diulio. Ford and Diulio, as we've said many times, is an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from the big law firms. The founders uh, who put together Ford and Julio did so on the concept of aligned interest, something that they see where their success is related to your success, where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective and not just for dragging it out forever, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their own clients' goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or at trial. If that's something you find missing, if that's something you'd like to find out more about, simple forddiulio.com f-o-r-d-d-i-u-l-i-o forddiulio.com all right with that um you asked the question i was going to ask which is where do you get all this stuff 
because I don't know where it all resides. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know there was once a category for you know, <laughs> <is it> yurts. <laughs> I can search for boat slips if you want me to. What about um, alternative uh, things? What about uh, these things? What do they call them? Uh, advanced something? Auxiliary dwelling units? ADUs. Accessory ADUs. dwelling units. Is that what it is? Okay. Yes. That's not a searchable field yet, but I think we should we should ask for that. Because they passed a law a mm -hmm. while ago, and I mm -hmm. thought we would see something, and I don't see them anywhere. Nobody's talking about this idea you can put. To me, it's like a granny sh a granny shack, a granny home in the backyard or something. Yeah, but you know, we can't say the G word anymore. No, okay. Right, no. <laughs> grandpa, I'm a grandpa. I can in say this it. age of, of political correctness, <laughs> it's really nuts what I can and can't But it was say. a place that you typically put in your, 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 your mom, your dad as they get older. It mm -hmm. was a place that mm -hmm. they lived in. It had its own uh, kitchenette and mm -hmm. a bathroom and everything. Yeah. It was a little extra yeah. room. And people... I don't know if the the world has come down on that yet. If there's a, a general opinion, does that create more density, more undesirable low income people renting these things in the backyard, or is this the salvation that we're all looking for here, where it's a little extra income to help pay for this, and it's a place to put mom or dad rather than a nursing home? See, I I, I agree with everything you just said. I I think. It is likely a two-sided coin. Mm -hmm. And one side is, yeah, it's low-income housing because it's a tiny little house in your backyard for yeah, the love of right. Pete. You know, it's not going to be the highest rent in the world. No. So, yes, you're going to get people who have lower income renting it. Cause and effect, people. This is common sense. And people like me, I have an ADU. It's been there since we bought the house. Mm -hmm. It's never been vacant. I mean, I had family there for years. I, I finally have an actual tenant in it. Mm -hmm. um, very good friend. Yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty I may, good tenant. I, I may say, have yeah. to. I might know that person very well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, truth out. Kara is my tenant, and I can espouse the beauty of ADUs, and this particular ADU. You know, if if you've, anyone knows me, you know, philosophy wise, I am a minimalist, and it is a perfectly designed, true, tiny home, self-contained. And I think anyone who's listening to this who has doubts about tiny homes and their ability to help solve our housing crisis really needs to take a look at this because mm -hmm. it is a glorious way of living that yeah. is conducive to all of one's needs and can actually help solve our housing crisis. Yeah. And for different people at different points in their life, right. like yeah. your aging mom, or you, are you going to take a bedroom or are you going to take the dining room? We don't have dining rooms anymore. Are you going to take the family room someplace downstairs because yeah. she can't walk upstairs? Right. Uh, and try and convert into something, or you had uh, your friend uh, was in here talking about converting bed uh, garages rather mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into yeah. these spaces. Janine, right? Well, and and something too that I think maybe people don't think about when it's not happening in their family, when it's your relative, um, regardless of relation, but when it's your relative who is aging and needs a place to be, it's a little inelegant to put them in a guest room as if they're your child. Yeah. This is an adult human being. Right. You know, they want a little privacy, please. Right. Can I make my own snacks without you like jumping up and getting something for me? It's like I'm not dead yet. And I think it's the I think there's an uh, maybe honor is a strong word, but it, it, it's it's honoring them. It's not saying, "Okay, you're totally helpless now and you're just going to lay in a bed in the back bedroom here." Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a uh, dignity. Too, you're going to give them a little dignity. Right? And it's a reciprocal relationship because many right. times when we have this this other um, generation living in our our ADU or a guest house, 
Casita. Mm-hmm. Casita is a nice way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're often doing as much of a service to the younger generations, mm-hmm. watching the kids. In Absolutely. my case, watching my pet. Yeah. You know, right. it, it, it takes the, a village. The, it does take a village. And yeah. I love that, you know, now we co parent my dog. Right. <laughs> well, so, I, I yeah. could see myself living in one of those one day if it had some separateness to it if I felt some independence about it but yet I was close enough somebody could help me you can be there to be useful to them they can be there to be useful for you it's a win-win and you you make a fine point I really will say something to the MLS board because they're constantly evolving and adapting Mm -hmm. and they really do need to make ADU a searchable field because it's onerous to try to find them now and i think it also is a way to pay for the exorbitant prices because now you've got another little income you're helping Mm -hmm. somebody you got a little it's a benefit all the way around again if it can accommodate these neighborhoods weren't built for more cars and more people necessarily whatnot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there's some downside to that but i could see there's lots of people in my neighborhood for example who still live in a house and there's only one maybe two people living in the house yeah these yeah. and once it was built for four or five for yeah. a family yeah you know it's interesting you're, you're making me think about this but i actually have two listings that are coming on the market um one more imminently in a couple of weeks in Eastside costa mesa and when they did their remodel they added a really lovely adu upstairs mm-hmm. so it, and the other one as i mentioned has a treehouse i'm not kidding but it's a fully functional How effectively cool an adu yeah, so right. so two of my listings coming up already have this and and i'm mm-hmm. really proud of them for doing that mm-hmm. you know and they they did it for different reasons um a multi-generational in both cases mm-hmm. you know so w- we shouldn't look at it i think as oh well they're just doing it for their own family well, yes, and that means that family is not competing with you for a rental, so you're welcome. Yes, you know? exactly. It's a win. It's a win. Build the ADUs, people. Okay. All right. More well, that was my place. question. All, All right. right, then. We are almost out of time, Wendy. Hmm. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. Did I say that much? We'll, we'll, be, we'll be back next week. Don't okay. worry. But before we do, we've always um, had a tradition also about talking about community partnerships mm-hmm. and your company, Veracity Real Estate is a strong community supporter and we like ending the show with one or two plugs about some of the nonprofit work you're doing or some mm-hmm. upcoming events. So what do you want listeners and others in Orange County to know? Can't say enough about Shea Center. Shea is an equestrian center where they actually practice hippotherapy and I did not know that that did not mean they use hippos. They do not. Hippotherapy means it's horse therapy. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that hipp- hippopotamus was Latin for horse. Does that mean water horse then? Water horse. Right. Okay, see, I am that blonde. Anywho, um, Shea Center uses horses for um, physical and, uh, and occupational therapy for children and adults, and they do incredible work. I mean, some of these, these children with MS and, and muscular dystrophy and, and these types of things um, take their first steps after being on horses. You know, they, they learn core balance. They, they learn how to walk. People who have had strokes learn to adapt and and you have a normal life animals seem to sense them and they Mm -hmm. seem to sense there's a connection Mm -hmm. that they say you can't imagine until you're there but these animals feel them sense them absolutely it it is the most beautiful thing if anyone has not gone to shea center you need to go take a tour i mean call them um, and get yourself down Don't there they and have take a look like at blind it. Blind kids and put them on horses too, I think, or something. Else. I they, believe so because yeah. they have therapists standing on both sides and right. back, and sometimes so one to in experience front. something that you didn't think you could mm-hmm. otherwise experience. Mm-hmm. The, the the liberation they give to these people, young and old, is incredible. 
and only 11% of the therapy they provide is paid for um, through fee for service. So the rest of it is all through donation and their big gala and they throw a really nice party. <laughs> is june 25th at the montage resort there's still time to get tickets but not very many so go to shea center just look it up sheacenter.org i believe um in san juan capistrano and go and support you will see me there we had them on one of our shows our impact oc our public affairs show where we try and highlight different charities and i was amazed i really didn't know anything about them and the more they talked the more i was it's incredible incredible work and they do a lot of work also with veterans and veterans' families. Yes, right. So, and that's a nice tie-over for me because you, you all know my late husband was a Marine and very proud of it. Um, you may not know, Paul, he actually was raised in Australia. He, he came back to the U.S. specifically to be in the U.S. military oh goodness, like no. his father because he was no. a military brat. He's a U.S. citizen because um, his father was an American um Air Corpsman, actually. So we were very passionate about anything that benefits um, our our service people. And Antoinette Balta is co-founder of Veterans Legal Institute, and she's become one of my dear friends because of the incredible advocacy that they provide. Ford and Giulio, my key sponsor, they're very involved with Veterans Legal Institute. And Veracity Real Estate, my company, underwrites their auction for their annual gala, which is in November. November 9th, is it? Yep. November 9th. And Altalunas is the um, media partner for... VLI as well. So all of us are supporting our veteran community. Helping them get more exposure. It's incredible. Their gala is going to be at the Lion Air Museum, and I absolutely cannot wait. What a cool place. Yeah. Such a cool place. Right over at the airport here, a General mm-hmm. Lion who built uh, Cota de Casa. Yeah, yep. I've been there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, and what Paul, a you'll have to join us. I would love to, because it, it, I'm an old World War II uh, Buff, my father was a bomber pilot in World War II, so they have a B-17 over there like my dad flew. That's fantastic. So I've taken my grandkids and stuff. This is what your you know, great-grandfather All right. did. Well, yeah. Paul, you and anybody who's listening, if you have really, really cool memorabilia or anything that you can donate as an auction item mm. for either of these important charities, please get in touch with me because we need every dollar to help them fund the services they provide. And yeah. they provide really, really important services. And the Shea Center is something. helping people be healthy. VLI is helping people get access to health care and jobs and legal support for to prevent homelessness um, for mental for mental health care. I mean, really, really critical services. So we need all the support we can get, either in terms of dollars or time. In my world, anyone who has a gorgeous vacation home somewhere that you're willing to let someone auction it for a weekend or perhaps a week stay at your property, mm. please, please, please let us know. Reach out to me at wendy at realveracity.com and, and let's put something on the auction for you and from you so you can do your bit to do good. And real quick with that, now that uh, people are traveling again, mm-hmm. another way to maximize your investment is if anyone could donate points and miles. Oh, great um, Because point. that's paired yeah, right. with the vacation homes, and it can be a really nice package that generates a lot of funds for so our So for your gorgeous house in Vail, we can get them airfare mm-hmm. there. Great idea. So, yeah, let's all just come together as a community and, and support these, these and other important causes. We, if, if we all pull together, we're going to make it a better place. Sounds good to me. Okay. Any final thoughts or takeaways here? No, just stay tuned for next week and listen to This Week with Wendy wherever you like to get your podcasts best.